It is Friday the 15th of February 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 26 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. Thanks very much for listening in. I hope you're all having a good year. We're truly into the swing of things now and in 2018 seems like a distant memory to me already. So we've got quite a big episode today. Companies are starting to update the market and I'm going to talk about more companies in a single episode than I think I've ever spoken about before. We've got about 10 companies in, in total and we'll still have time at the end to finish off the podcast with the chat about a couple of macro things I noticed in, in some reports this week and I'll also have a chat about the minimum wage going up. So let's get straight into it. During the week, Contact Energy released their 2019 interim results. Just to go through some of the highlights quickly. For the six months ended 31st of December 2018, EBITDA F came in at $291 million. This was a 23% increase in the first half of 2018. You've got to be careful with the table on this report, as it's easy to make the assumption that the 23% increase was on from the corresponding period last year. And that's because most companies, when they report these sorts of tables, are comparing to the same period the prior year. Um, and it's not the case with this one. It was a comparison against the first half of 2018. It's not a big deal, and you know, if you're analysing the company, you'd figure it out, but it's just worth pointing out. So free cash flow, that's when you account for the interest tax depreciation, amortisation, and the, the fair value movements in the, in, in the calculation was $203 million. And this is a number that really matters, um, and you'll need to go to the financial statements to see how it compares against the prior period last year and it was quite a reasonable jump. So Contact also sold some assets during the half, namely the, and excuse the pronunciation, the Ahura gas storage for $438 million. And next, it's, it's always worth checking what they did with the cash. So they paid $136 million out in dividends and paid $298 million down in debt. So their cash in hand because they got that that, that jump from the sale was increased by $207 million. So it's nice to see them paying down some debt. These generators are always going to be asset-heavy companies, so by nature they tend to have a reasonable amount of debt. So, And, and they need it to make a reasonable return on, on equity. The, the debt is almost a necessity. And the debt is also easily services, serviceable by cash flow, so it's not normally too much to be worried about with these sorts of companies. And at the end of the day, in, in most economic environments, we'll need electricity, and that's why the debt is so serviceable. So there's some interesting highlights from report from the report. They increased their renewable energy generation by 10%. And they also had the standard spiel that electricity companies like to do about how much they care for their customers. And from time to time, these sorts of companies get bad press about their company relations with customer relations, sorry, which is natural when you're that big and you sell a product that everyone needs. So interestingly, I've I've never seen one of these guys claim that they're doing worse worse with their customers. They always seem to be doing better, but then it always blows up in the news from time to time, so it's always quite amusing. Um, we'll digress in a bit here, but they had a section on the outlook, had some concerns about gas, but they didn't really say all that much um, about the outlook, so there's not too much to, to say there. But all in all, it was a, a pretty good report from Contact. They they won't be able to report this sort of growth every year, but they're likely to be a, a good, reliable dividend payer for years to come so long as we need electricity and so long as the technology stays the same as, as, as what it is now. 
Um, the next company I'll, I'll talk about is Briscoe's Group. So Briscoe's reported their fourth quarter sales figures to, to the 27th of, Jan- 27th of January 2019. You all know Briscoe's, they, they have their homeware stores um, and they also own Rebel Sports and, and just under 20% of Katmandu. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code BGP, and for some reason they also have a listing on ASX under the same ticker code. I've never been able to quite figure out why they have the ASX listing. I mean, it it, it barely trades, and Rod Chuk owns most of the shares anyway, so I'm not sure why he bothers with an ASX listing. And for, for a company that has a reputation they have a great reputation for controlling costs. It, it, it's always confused me why they bother with the extra cost, but whatever, it is what it is. And anyway, the, the fourth quarter is obviously a crucial time for any retailer because it, it includes the Christmas period. It's not always the fourth quarter. It depends how they split up their financial year, but the Christmas period is always important. And I, I, was, I was a little bit concerned, sort of, or at least interested about where the numbers were coming for, for Briscoe's this year. And, and the reason is that it's not related to the company in any way, but the wider economy. You hear a lot of talk about housing slowing down, minimum wages going up, slowing immigration. It gives the impression that things in the economy might be slowing down. And I think Briscoe's can be a bit of a bellwether stock for the wider economy just to see how things are going. And my concerns were misplaced as, as fourth quarter group sales increased 5.81%. And same store sales growth increased five point one two percent. And these these numbers are so similar, the same store sales and, and total sales, because the company does not open a significant number of new stores anymore, um, just because they've expanded throughout the country. And same store sales growth of five point one two percent is pretty impressive in my opinion. Um and the same store sales figure is the key number when assessing any retail company's financial performance. It's it it, it it really is the what everyone uses. And I can tell you that most retailers, both overseas and in New Zealand, would snap your arm off for same-store sales growth of above 5%. And, and some would be happy just to break even on the same-store sales growth. So it's it's quite impressive numbers in my view. Full-year sales came in at $631.9 million. That's an increase of 4.43%. And net profit after tax increased to $63 million. At a market cap of $750 million, this places a company on about 12 times earnings. And if you were to back out the Katmandu shareholding as well, it, it, it puts them on a lower multiple. So they're relatively cheap, but so is most retail stocks. So... Online sales growth continue to do really well, um, and, and Duke described this as excellent and it finished the year up 27%, which is strong growth. It's obviously a small part of their business at the moment though, so it's easy to grow from a small base. And breaking things down between homeware, homeware which is basically the Briscoe's brand, and sporting goods, which is a Rebel Sport, homeware sales increased 6.08%, and sporting goods increased 3.4%. So the, the, the homeware, while the sporting performance was strong, the homeware was particularly strong. Uh, there's no mention of what will happen to the dividend. The company typically pays a final dividend in March, and I would expect an increase on last year, so we'll, we'll hopefully get that news soon. Um, before I wrap, wrap up on Briscoe's, I, I would love to get Rod Duke on the podcast for an interview. So if there's any listeners that have a way of setting it up, send me an email at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz and I'd be pretty internally grateful, so that'd be fantastic. So in any way of getting Rod Duke on the podcast, that'd be awesome. Um, anyway, the, the next company I'd like to discuss is one that I've never discussed before, um, and I might be pronouncing this wrong, but that is Promesia. And 
apologies if I have said that wrong, but they trade on the NZX under the ticker code PIL. And if I were to be completely honest, I, I don't know a whole lot about them. There isn't too much online, and, and I haven't read their annual report. So, but they, they say on, on their website that they are a company that is focused on developing and marketing unique natural products with proven safety from robust data. Our goal is to add scientific 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 methodology and validity to the industry that is often perceived as unscientific. Looking on the product section of the of the website, it looks like they have a couple of dietary supplements um, for joint support, which <laughs> maybe I should try as my knees are always sore. And they also have a product for dogs. It looks like it does the same thing. And Actually, reading on on the on the company update, I'm I'm not in too much of a hurry to try their products, and maybe other people aren't either. And and that is because the company reported during the week that the Ministry of Health, that is the New Zealand government, so quite a serious, quite quite a serious um stakeholder there, has initiated a, a prosecution against the company, alleging that the company's joint support products is an unlicensed medicine and that some of the marketing activities have been in breach of the Medicines Act. So the New Zealand government's essentially saying, hey, you guys have a, a product that's not a medicine that you're marketing as a medicine. And of course, the company is saying that the product is not a medicine, it is a dietary supplement, and that they will defend the charges vigorously. So the company is saying, hey, we've never actually said it's a medicine. So I'm no lawyer and, and certainly do not have a view on how this will play out. But I guess from a shareholder's perspective, there's, there's no real way that you can spin this as, as a good announcement, um, particularly from a small company. So I'll add it to my watch list just because I'm curious to see how it will play out. <clears throat> so the good thing about... When, when companies are reporting earnings is that I get to talk about companies that I would not normally mention on the podcast and this week certainly seems to be one of those. So I don't think I've ever talked about Southport before. So Southport is located in Bluff Harbour at the bottom of New Zealand and Southport is New Zealand's southernmost commercial deep water port. These guys have a market cap of about 170 million and they pay a, a dividend yield of, of a touch under 4%. They trade on the NZX under the ticket code SPN and they're the sort of company that, that it wouldn't take too much of a genius to understand the economics of. So once you've understand the economics and, and you're comfortable with the business then you just need to figure out a, a price that you're comfortable paying. So you're always a step ahead when you can easily figure out the economics. And I like the way they, they write their report that has that sort of southern spade as a spade feel. And I'll read the first line. The operating performance for the year was strong with total revenue increasing by 7.4% to $20.9 million. However, increased repairs and maintenance during the scheduled five-year dry docking of the tug Hal Roku in brackets, they put their capital expenditure, led to a reduction of 7.1% in their profit after tax. So they're just like, revenue was strong, profit wasn't as strong, this is why, nice and simple. So they've estimated that full year earnings should fall in the range of 8.6 to 8.9 million. It would be an interesting one to do some more research on this company. Um, the, the market therefore has it trading on, a, based off the guidance, at about 19 times earnings. And one would want, if they're going to buy the stock, you probably want to feel comfortable about the long-term economics and the continued viability of freight through the area. That would be the only question. Um, I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but it wouldn't be too hard to figure out, I wouldn't have thought. Um, the next company is, is Allied Farmers, and it's another company that I haven't talked about. And I have to admit that I, I don't know that much about them at all. Um, but the clue is obviously in the name. They're a very small company with a market value of about $13 million, and they trade on the NZX under the ticker code ALF. 
And according to the website, their business predominantly relates to the livestock yard sale activities and calf procurement, processing and sales carried out nationally and provides a growing online nationwide service via mylivestock.co.nz. Again, I don't think this would be a terribly difficult company to figure out the economics of. Um, so head, head along to their website and annual report if you want to figure it out. And they had a trading update during the week. They expect the result for the first half of 2019 to be significantly ahead of the first half of the 2018 financial year. They suggested that improved performance from meat processing and livestock financing operations is the reason behind this improved performance. So that's good news for shareholders. They they have said that due to some seasonal fluctuations that a full year result would be difficult to accurately forecast at this time. So they didn't give much guidance, but head along to their website and figure out the company and, and, and I guess figure out what you think they're worth based on their, their earnings and their cash flow. So the next stock is Sky City. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code SKC. I spoke in detail about them a few weeks ago. I think it was episode 25. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. And they released the interim results during the week, which we pretty much canvassed on the last report. So I won't go into it. But they did lob a pleasant surprise for shareholders into the mix, which is great. And it is a rare one for for Kiwi companies. So they've advised that they intend to undertake an on-market share buyback program to purchase up to 5% of the shares on issue. So the board approved an initial buyback of up to 50 million. So they'll get that out of the way first, then they'll see where, where they're at and whether they want to buy back more. And in general, I, I like buybacks. And I say in general, because it's not always the case. You know, it, it has to be a good use of the capital. The company has to be bought at the right valuation. So there's lots of caveats there. But in general, subject to all ticking all those boxes, I, I, I do like it. And to to quickly explain, if they're done right, they are positive for shareholders, um, particularly if they don't have better use for the capital. Because what happens is the company buys back the shares on market and then cancels them. And that, that essentially means that the company has less shares than what they did before. So if there was 10 shares in the market and they bought back one and cancelled, then they'd have nine shares. Pretty simple. Um, and, and they still make the same amount of money. So even though they bought back the shares, the earnings next year still might be $100 million, for example. So this means that the same amount of profits is divided across less shares and the earnings per share is higher. And certainly for which is great great for you as a shareholder if your if your shares are making more per share that's great so certainly for sky city it it, it doesn't necessarily have a, a a good record of sensible acquisitions and this seems like a smart move i mean if you can't find anything to invest in why not buy back your shares pretty much so a, a pretty good update for sky city and uh and I guess a rarity in New Zealand as well. It's not one that we, we, we see too much companies buying back shares. There's, there's generally two ways that companies can return capital to shareholders. One is through dividends, which is extremely common in New Zealand, and one is through share buybacks, um, which, you know, the, the reason New Zealand companies... Well, there's, there's a couple of reasons I think they pref- typically prefer dividends over share buybacks. The, the first reason is due to the imputation credits, and um, the tax system out in New Zealand is, is very favourable towards dividends. It's not so overseas. Um, and the second reason is that the, it's not the case for Sky City, but say with Allied Farmers, which we just talked about, you know, if, if they wanted to do a, a share buyback, it's extremely difficult because the stock is so illiquid. Um, so that you know, it's typically easier to have some liquidity in the stock before you start buying back the shares from the market, or else you would 
you know, you, you would, you'd massively affect the, the stock price. So good update from Sky City and, and it will be interesting to see how it plays out if they'll be able to extend it beyond the approved initial buyback of $50 million. Helen Stein Glasson, a stock that I've talked about a bit on the podcast in the past, has, has provided one of the shortest trading updates I've ever seen during the week. I'll, I'll try to pad it out a bit by saying that the stock trades on the NZX under the ticker code HLG. They're an apparel retailer with two dominant brands, Glassons that targets the ladies and Helen Steins that targets the gentlemen. They're a heavy dividend payer and have been a pretty good performer in the last couple of years or so. So they, they advised the market that the total group sales for the six-month period ending 1st of January 1st of February, sorry, which obviously includes the Christmas period, they came in at 151.2 million. That was an increase of 3.1% over the prior period. Similar to Briscoe's, that, that's probably, they didn't specify in the Hellenstein's reports, but that's probably all same store sales, I'm guessing. They also said that they were expecting a, a group profit after tax in the range of 15.7 and 16.2 million, which is, would be an increase of about 6% on the prior year. So interesting that the profits increased faster than the sales there. So that implies that somewhere along the lines, I'm not sure if it's at the gross margin or operating margin level, that margin's increased. Um, at the mid- midpoint of this range and with a market cap of about 260 million, this puts them on about 16 times earnings. And they said that they'll provide a full market update on the 29th of March. And I guess this is just a short one to provide the market some idea of how the Christmas sales went. So quickly moving on, New Zealand Oil and Gas. Compared to Hellenstein's, this is a company that I don't think I've ever talked about on the podcast. And to be honest, it is a company that I've always carried negative views on. And, and these negative views would be views that I developed when I started doing stock market research all those years ago and to be honest I'm not really sure what the company's up to in 2019 and I haven't been following it so these negative views could easily have be outdated now but interestingly when I look back at the charts from when I developed those negative views the stock has done virtually nothing um, during that time which as we all know has been a strong bull market so you know, maybe this is a stock that's underappreciated, and if you did your your homework on, you could figure out that it's a good opportunity. I I I I don't know, but it wouldn't be too hard to figure out. Um. So anyway, New Zealand Oil and Gas they trade on the NZX under the ticker code NZO, and during the week they signed a contract with the Iron Bark Rig along with BP Beach Energy and Q Energy. BP is a forty two point five percent stake. Q has a twenty one point five percent. Beach Energy is twenty one percent and NZO has 15%. NZO, however, essentially have 25.75% because they own a, a just over a 50% shareholding in Q, so essentially they control that much as well. Um, I'm not going to try to analyse this as I do not really know much about this sort of thing, but the NZO CEO, Andrew Jeffries, is excited and, and called the the a, a genuinely world-scale prospect. Um, notice how you use the word prospect not project so it's still a prospect at this stage um, the rig is located in the Carnivron Basin off Western Australia I know I pronounced that wrong and drilling is expected to start in late 2020 so let's hope that it goes well for the company as, as they do add some diversity to the NZX and it'll be good to see them really pull in the profits so moving on again if, if you want to do an interesting academic study 
I would recommend researching the relationship and shareholder structure of Millennium and Copthorn Hotels New Zealand Limited and CDL Investments. So Millennium trades on the NZX under the ticker code MCK and CDL trades under CDI and I'll call them CDI going forward just because it's easier. I, I've tried to fully get my head around it in the past by contacting both companies and I, I did not fully get it and so I put it in the too hard basket and moved on but just quickly off the top of my head and I could easily be wrong about this MCK has two classes of shareholdings um, with and, and they have a dominant overseas shareholder so I think I think that's from Singapore though I could be wrong about that and they also have a majority shareholding in CDI and it's unclear to me when I looked at how the accounting relationship worked between the companies where that all fit in in the balance sheet and I made some I had some questions about it but I, I didn't still didn't really get it um, and an, an actual accountant might be able to figure it out quite easily but for me I'm, I'm not a trained accountant I, I do like things to be easy to understand so I'm not going to go into detail about each of the reports but I read through them anyway and, and you can see them online but there were some interesting takeaways from the reports and I'll, I'll, I'll read, read it out so CDI in their update said that while we are confident that 2019 we will be profitable we are already seeing a slowing and a slowing property market and this sentiment will impact our section sales in coming months 2019, so slowing property market is, is what they're saying there, and these are guys that are on the ground that are doing property developments, residential property developments all the time. And they said 2019 will therefore necessitate some degree of flexibility in our sales approaches in order to maintain our positive sales tempo. I'm not sure what flexibility they'll put into their sales approaches, but they're basically highlighting that the property market maybe isn't as buoyant for them as it has been in the past. And I take this sort of thing seriously as opposed to stuff that's written on the news, but this is this is a genuine property developer that's reporting to its shareholders. So interesting comment there. Now, MCK said in their update, domestic conditions have had more significant impacts more significant impacts than international conditions is what they're saying on the accommodation sector in 2018 and will continue into 2019. The tight supply of skills continues and changes to the immigration policies on work visas have not helped. These have had these have immediate flow on flow through effects to the quality of the service and cost of doing businesses beyond wage or salary rates. So MCK have essentially reiterated what other industries have been saying about how changes in immigration policies have created staffing issues. I've heard Ryman Healthcare and Main Freight make similar complaints. Essentially, these companies, Main Freight, Ryman, MCK, they rely on a lot of low-wage employment. And that in, in the past years, they've been getting that from overseas and tightening in the immigration policy has put constraints on that. If that's a quick summary. Um, and they also touched on about how the minimum wage increase will affect things. I've I've done a bit of thinking about the minimum wage, which, you know, to be honest, my views have changed on over time, I guess, as, as you'd expect, as I've moved from being working on the minimum wage to, to higher wages. And, you know, you, you could easily make the argument that my views have just changed because my situation has changed, and, and they probably have. But I, I, I do... I think the minimum wage has got is going to go up to twenty dollars an hour by April next year, I believe. Um, now I remember when the minimum wage was ten dollars when I was at university. So the first thing I would say is that there's there is no reason to panic. Um, it's not the first minimum wage increase, and it won't be the last. I mean, my grandfather 
told me how I used to make a few pounds a week back in the day. So it, it's, you know, the minimum wage is going to keep going up over time. And we've survived in the past and will continue to do well over the long term. That is New Zealand. So, but however, I, I do believe that increasing the minimum wage will be inflationary which is, isn't a good thing, I don't think. So if you think about it from the perspective of a cafe owner, for example, if the minimum wage increases, so do their costs. And when their costs increase, this will be eventually passed on to the consumer. And it won't necessarily be straight away and it won't necessarily be in a straight line. So it, and that, that would depend on your competitive advantage. If you had a fantastic cafe on the corner in Mission Bay in Auckland for example and you always had lines outside your door then maybe you'll be able to pass on the minimum wage increases straight away because you've got that competitive advantage. If your cafe was in a line of cafes fighting it out on on, on price then maybe the minimum the, the, the increases will not be so quick so it won't be in a straight line. Um, but obviously, it increased the prices of things. So when when the wages go up, you you'd expect eventually the the prices of things to go up. Um, so obviously, that's not a a great thing, and, and in some ways, it, it it sort of defeats the the purpose um, because it sort of just keeps everyone in in, in track with each other. And I, I just sort of say that I'm I'm a hundred percent for helping the people make that that make. The, the least money. So you want to see these people as, as society doing better over the long term. And for a good part of my working career, as, as of most people, they've been working in the minimum wage bracket. So I, I, I fully understand. And I personally do not see this as a political issue, but I think as society, we should always be endeavouring to help the people at the bottom. And my view is that these people would be better off with tax breaks or incentives that achieve a similar outcome to a wage increase. Now, I know the government needs to generate a tax revenue and everything like that, but I'm I'm not convinced how much money they actually make off the, the people making the minimum wage anyway, although I, I, I could be wrong. And now, I know it's a lot more complicated than that, and a, and a lot of smart people have different views with me, but I believe in the long run that that will serve people in society better than the minimum wage increase, which will be inflationary. So if you gave people these sort of tax breaks and incentives, then they will actually have more money back in their pocket, in, in their back pocket, but it won't be in as flat in, as an inflationary environment. So they would actually, in relative terms, have more spending power, which has to be good, whereas I think increasing the minimum wage will, will increase inflation and it won't actually increase people's spending power. And well, you know, we could we could talk about this for a while, but that's just my own view. And like I said, a lot of smart people have different views to me. Right. Anyway, so sometimes it's good to finish off with a bit of macro and policy chat. We don't normally do it, but I know it's something that's on a lot of businesses and a lot of people's minds at the moment. And it will be on the minds of a lot of companies in the stock market. I can I can guarantee that for sure, especially those companies which have have large labour forces. You know, think your Ryman Healthcare's, think those sorts of companies and. That's about all we have time for, though, so I won't go on about that for too long. And I think we've spoken about more stocks than we have in any other episode of the podcast, so I hope you've enjoyed it, and, and thanks again for listening in. As a reminder, nothing that I said today should be considered as financial advice. It's just my opinions. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share with your friends. If you're looking, if you want to, if you want to email me, it is Jeremy at Stock Market Movers. 
stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode 27 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 15th of February 2019, and we'll see you all again next week.